Since the beginning of the year, we have been learning together to live as disciples and as followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, we started out this year with Pastor Daryl talking about our theme for the year, which is to love God and to love others. And to kind of start fleshing that out, we looked at uh, prayer, where we pray, God, I can't, but you can. We looked at Scripture, where we read the Bible and do what it says. Uh, But here's the deal. Up to this point, these are things I can do on my own. Just kind of me and God. But this morning, I'm going to talk about how we need to go from me to we. And the fact that I cannot grow spiritually all by myself. Nobody can. There's an old saying in Alcoholic Anonymous. We can get drunk on our own. We get sober together. I can sin on my own. But I get healed by God together in community. Now, most of you know this. Our uh, mission statement as a church is Mission Covenant Church exists to connect the unconnected to Jesus Christ and together grow as fully devoted followers of Him. So I, I get into a community of people who I can love and then learn from Scripture and prayer and we enter into what might be called doing life together. Now, in child development, there is a stage, some of you who are educators know all about this, there is a stage where little kids engage in what is called parallel play. This often begins when they're about two or three years old. You put them in a room with another two-year-old, and their bodies are right next to each other, but they can't really interact or cooperate. They're not really playing together. They're playing separately in the same space. Parallel play is considered an early inevitable step in a child's development. We all go through it. And it is characterized by what the definition is, egocentric behavior and the inability to de-center. In other words, they've not learned to put their trust in anybody else but themselves. So in parallel play, you don't have to share your toys. In parallel play, you're free to do whatever you want to do. Now, how long this stage lasts depends on culture and even geography. In Midwestern towns with a high emphasis on community, it lasts maybe to the age of five or six. Interestingly, in more urban, competitive, individualistic areas, it can go on longer. And truthfully, for some of us, it lasts until about retirement. All right? But here's the truth. We were made for each other. We need each other. We cannot grow or heal or become like Jesus without it. And following Jesus is not a parallel deal. It is not something that is just between me and God. Now, there's a word in the Bible for this. That word is fellowship. You rarely hear that word outside of the church. It's become kind of cliche. Fellowship. It conjures up the idea of having 
churchy small talk with churchy snacks in a churchy setting. But for the early church, fellowship was something much bigger. In the early church, they had such a profound experience of honest, reconciled, barrier-leaping life together that they had to find a word to describe it, and they adopted a little used Greek word, koinonia. And because they needed a way to describe this radical kind of sharing and participation and communion and generosity and identifying with, which meant that if you become part of this family, like any other human community, unlike any other human community, if you become part of this koinonia, this fellowship, you are never, ever alone. When someone goes through heartbreak or loss, people without being asked bombard them with food and caring and meals and visits and gifts and errands getting run and help being given. That is koinonia. That's the church. Or when people are in need, when somebody is without a job or without a home or struck by a crisis and they don't have adequate financial resources and another person, another brother and sister in Jesus comes forward and say, I can help and I want to do it with joy. And resources get shared and generosity just flows without even having to be requested. That's koinonia or even in correction. Because koinonia isn't just soft. When somebody's going down a wrong road, making big mistakes, a deeply loving friend says, I care for you too much to just sit back and watch. And they courageously speak the truth in love. That's koinonia. That's what fellowship is. In fellowship, I ask God's help to move from isolated living, self-centered living, to community. And I commit myself to a group of people, and they become my new family, and I make them a priority. Now, the most powerful and gripping description of this Jesus way of life, of this fellowship, is found in the book of Acts chapter 2. It's a famous chapter about the church, and I want to look at that this morning, and I want to walk through three, uh, I, I think, distinct features of fellowship, what fellowship requires. And I want to invite all of us to take a step into fellowship. So here's what it says. This is kind of a creedal text of the church, Acts 2, 42, 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There has never been anything like the church. So I want to start with an observation that comes toward the end of this passage where it says that they ate together. Now, eating together has been an important part of fellowship from the very beginning. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. 
All right. Now, just because you eat with someone, even if you're a Christian, doesn't make it fellowship. The text here says they ate with glad and sincere, that's the word, hearts. In other words, fellowship requires authenticity. People were so gripped by the good news that Jesus gives grace and forgiveness that when they came together and ate, they took their mask off. They came out of hiding. They got real about their struggles and their temptations and their sin, and they ate with sincere hearts. Fellowship is where who they were on the outside is the same as they were on the inside. And unfortunately, way too often, I think because we aspire toward being like Jesus, we could often engage in fake fellowship where people smile, they're polite, superficial, and pretend like everything is fine. And everybody likes everybody. And nobody has doubts. And everybody's children are perfect. That's not fellowship. Fellowship does not mean pretending to be more spiritual than you really are. Fellowship does not mean shifting into superficial, safe, religious, small talk. There's a story where a mom was being visited by her pastor when her young son comes running into the living room and he's super excited and he's holding a dead rat by the tail. But he is so thrilled, he doesn't even notice the minister. And he says to his mom, Mom, I was playing behind the garage, and I saw this rat running around, and I threw a rock at it, and I hit it, and it just laid there. So I threw another one at it, and then I went over and I kicked it, and then I picked it up, and I threw it against the garage as hard as I could, and then I threw it again against the garage. And then he sees the pastor, and he realizes if looks could kill the way his mom is looking at him would make him a dead man. And so he holds up the rat by the tail and says in a very pious voice, Then the dear Lord called him home. <laughs> Fellowship is not that. It's not surface talk. It's not trying to look good. You know, one of, one of the most striking features about the disciples' fellowship is how much they messed up. You know, Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. Thomas doubted Jesus. James and John self-promoted to Jesus. Paul persecuted Jesus' followers. Jesus was famous for engaging in table fellowship with sinners. And I think part of that is maybe because they were willing to be real. While religious people so often hid and pretended. That kills fellowship. Fellowship requires, it demands authenticity. Fellowship also requires commitment. You know, the beginning of this text in Acts 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And you'll notice the apostles' teaching was all about the life, message, death, resurrection of Jesus. 
And that's what we devote ourselves to as we read through the scriptures. But they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. In learning and eating and praying and sharing together. But here's the key. Fellowship doesn't happen by accident. Not in our culture. Nobody simply drifts into fellowship. This is one of the most countercultural aspects of this passage. Verse 46. It says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Think about that. Every day they continue to meet. It doesn't say that they continue to meet together when they felt like it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think everybody in the church felt like meeting in the temple courts every day? Do you think they could never come up with good excuses for not showing up that day? Imagine if when Heather and I and our sons were real little, under the age of five, Heather would say to me, what time will you be coming home for dinner? And I just say, well, I'll be there if I feel like it. It may not be convenient for me tonight. I may not be in the mood. I might have had a hard day. Sometimes, you know, our kids, they spill, they fight, they make a mess. And honestly, I find them a little draining. So I'll let you know if I can make it there or not. How likely would that be? Okay. Table fellowship with my family was non-optional. When you sign a contract to go to work someplace, you don't say, I'll show up tomorrow for work if I feel like it. Friends, I promise you, if you don't devote yourself to fellowship, you lose freedom to be truly known and loved and healed, being able to serve together side by side in a great mission. You'll never know that. They devoted themselves to this fellowship. And people really did this, and they have done it across the centuries in all kinds of contexts, in the midst of all types of challenges, not because some pastor told them they had to, not because God said they had to do it or they were in trouble. They did it because they knew. They knew the more they devoted themselves to it, the more they learned and prayed and shared and struggled and cared and loved, the more they received from it. And I'm telling you, when you devote yourself to the fellowship and to life together with other folks, God will work in your life. But that requires, and this is my third point, fellowship requires sharing. It requires sharing. In fact, if there is a single word out of the core of fellowship, it's the word sharing. In ancient Palestine, poverty was worse than we could ever imagine. Slavery imprisonment, if you were a debtor and couldn't pay it off, starvation, those were just everyday realities in that world. But then there arose a community where people were so filled with love for God and for each other that rich people and poor people would come together on equal footing. And sometimes people who had possessions would want to help others so much that they would sell a piece of property and bring the money back to the fellowship and say, make sure it gets to somebody who could really use it. There had really never been a community like this before. There is a fellowship 
that arranged where people who had homes and who had food opened them up to people who had no homes and had no food. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Not with condescension. No separation between them based on status or differences. This really happened. People did this. Fellowship is sharing. And I think it was this spirit of sharing that led to outrageous joy, even in the midst of suffering. I think this was the spirit of sharing that made the rest of the people outside the church glad that the church existed. You know, in fellowship, we share the truth about each other. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love is how we grow in fellowship. You know, sometimes people read a passage like Acts 2 and they think that the early church must have just been filled with a lot of really nice, bland people. And that's how they just all got along. Actually, the early church had all kinds of conflicts. They fought over which groups of widows got the most food. They fought over what to do with those who were from the outside, Gentiles, coming into their fellowship. They fought about what rules to keep. Paul and Barnabas fought so badly over one colleague that they split up. A man named Simon Magnus got jealous, tried to buy the Holy Spirit. Peter told him off. Paul got into Peter's face for Peter's prejudice. They fought with each other. They fought with scammers. This was no paradise island. These were real disciples. Speaking the truth is what they did. And it didn't kill them. It grew them. You see, speaking the truth in love is one of the secret weapons of the fellowship. But you know, in fellowship, we share our burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, Paul wrote, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, if you want to love God and love others, you carry each other's burdens. Each other's suffering. You know, shared suffering, not just suffering, but shared suffering has a strange power to it. If I were to ask about other things that we may have in common, if I were to ask you, who here likes the Packers? Or who here likes the Vikings? Or who here likes dogs or cats? Those would be a certain kind of affinity, something we would all have in common. But if I were to ask you, who here has survived cancer? Then you have a fellowship. Who here has had a loved one who has passed on? Then we have a fellowship. You see, in fellowship, we share in one another's burdens and sufferings. We do it together. Another quote from the big book of Alcohol Anonymous, it says, We are a people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. You know where they got that idea? 
They got it from the church. We are a people who would not normally mix. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor. That's the fellowship. Now God is going to lead you how to take a tangible step toward fellowship. Maybe it will mean for you making a decision that when we get together, as the congregation gets together for worship, if it is all possible, that you're going to be here. If not being able to be here in person, that you join us online. But maybe that's the decision you need to make. Maybe it's becoming a member of our church, of kind of taking that step of going from convenience to commitment. And Pastor Daryl Nelson is teaching our Mission 101 class beginning this coming Wednesday. There's room for you to join in. Some of you need to sign up for that. Maybe it's taking a step out of self-isolation and moving into relationship with other people. You know, one easy step for you to be able to do that is find another person and simply pray for them. It's real simple. We can all do this. Find one person and ask if you could pray for them. And then ask them to pray for you. But just pray for another person. If you've never done this before, this is a great step in your spiritual growth. You can do this with a friend. You could do this with a spouse. You could do it with a relative. You could do it with somebody before you leave this room this morning. Find somebody. Pray for them. I would love for everybody in our church to know that somebody else is praying for them. And for everybody who is part of our church to be blessed by another person in prayer. God, just bless my friend. Bless my sister. Bless my brother. You know, folks, I promise you. I promise you. If you follow Jesus in the practice of fellowship, of shared life together, you will know a greater level of meaning and acceptance and joy and life and love than you could ever know in the safety of isolation. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for creating us as beings who are created in a way that we are to, to be connected. We're not created to do life alone, but life together. And Father, because your desire to continue to be in fellowship with us, you sent us your son Jesus, came to this earth, and demonstrated, taught us, showed us how to love God and to love others, to be in that perfect fellowship. And then went to the cross, body broken, blood poured out, so that we could be free from Satan and sin and ourselves. And now we can be part of this family. We be connected with fellow brothers and sisters, siblings in Christ. God, thank you for the church. Thank you for the fellowship that we have here. God, help us to never take it lightly, never take it for granted. 
Help us to invite anybody and everybody that we can to be a part of it. And help us to treasure it and be involved in it. Help us to, to take the steps that we need to take. Give us the wisdom, the courage to go and do it. To be your body, to be your church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.